If you have your Bible this morning, if you turn with me to Proverbs 22, 7. I want you to mark that verse. It's a very important verse. You don't hear it much, uh, but it's important. The message today can change your life, and it can change the life of some of the folks in your family and some of your friends that are going through a real, real hard time right now. So this is a... Uh, an important topic. The title of my message is The Four Cornerstones of Financial Freedom. Our text is Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is servant to the lender. Now that's important because you don't want to be in that shape. I'm sure you've heard this. You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day... Older and deeper in debt, St. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company stove. You know that. Well, that old minor song reflects the futility and frustration of a whole lot of people, of people that are held in economic slavery. The miner would work and work and work. And he would try his very best to pay all of his bills. But the people that owned the mine also owned the local store. And they couldn't work hard enough or long enough to get enough money to pay off their tab. And so it just went round and around and around. Today, you can get in a comparable situation. You can be exploited economically and kept perpetually poor by giving over your life to debt. I don't believe that God wants his people to be in debt. I just don't believe that. The scripture tells us, our text for today, the borrower is servant to the lender. Anytime we get into debt, we assume a servant relationship to our creditor because we have to work to pay off that bill. Your house, our new educational building, those are things that are growing assets. Uh, they get worth more day by day, not less and less. So it's okay to owe on those things, but most everything else that you might buy goes down in value. You buy those things, when you do it, you're losing money over the long run, and you know that. Some people don't have time to play with their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, they don't have time to teach a Bible study class because they have to have two or three jobs to pay all of their bills. They're in debt. They're way in debt. And they have to work all the time, and so they are disqualified from serving the Lord by their own choices. Debt not only disqualifies people, but it also distresses them. Too many couples have felt the stress of heavy 
pressure coming because of debt. They add up their bills at the end of each month, and guess what? They add up to $3,800. And then they look at their income. It's $3,600. And they think, uh, dear Lord, you've got to help me, you've got to help me. And they lay it off on the Lord because they have made some poor choices along the way. It's just not there. The money's not there. And the reason is, is because they're in debt. God knew the type of pressure that debt could put on us, and he did not want us to be involved in it. So he gave us uh, Romans 13, 8, which says, Owe no man anything, anything. Debt disqualifies, it is distressing, it is discouraging. Debt's a bad thing. It's a, it's a uh, terrible thing to pay and pay and pay for something that you already have. Have you ever thought of that? If you pay for a car over a six-year period of time, guess what you do? You pay for the car three times, three times. And then, when the six years is up, it's time for you to buy another car. And so you are caught in a continuous cycle that always has you at a disadvantage. That also divides husbands and wives. There is not a single thing in America that's causing more divorces today than arguing over money. That's the number one thing. You can look at all the polls, and they'll all pretty much agree that that's the main difficulty in America. He comes home from work. She doesn't have dinner ready. She wants to go out to eat, and he says, we can't afford it. Why can't you understand that? She says, no, we never can afford to go out and have dinner but you can afford to spend $250 last weekend on a fishing trip. Great, he says. I go fishing once a year for two days. I have to get my nose away from the grindstone just for two days. And I never hear the last of it from you. Well, when am I supposed to get a break, she says. We have three children. I have a part-time job, this house, and I take care of you. She says, you never think about that. And guess what she does next? She starts crying. <laughs> That's exactly right. She starts crying. Believe me today, you can do without disqualifying, distressing, discouraging, divisive debt. God entrusts each of us with some certain resources. We're all given some things in life. And he expects us to be good stewards of what we have. A principle emphasized repeatedly in Scripture is that if you do well with what you have, you will be given more. But if we misuse the little that we have, even that which we have will be taken away. 
Now, this is an important principle that Jesus devoted two of his parables to explaining it. It's important. When we incur debt, a sizable portion of our money goes for interest, just interest. Do you know how much interest a year you pay on everything that you have? Cars, credit cards, appliances, everything. You know how much you pay? Would you be surprised if that number would add up to $5,000 a year or $10,000 a year or $20,000 a year? Think uh, what you could do for your children instead of some multimillionaire in New York City. We need about half a million to pay off our uh, building, our educational building. We really need your help with that. But most people, some people, a few people, can't help because they're way, way in debt. All of that interest you pay on debt doesn't help you, it doesn't help your family, and it certainly doesn't help God's work. Many people are so careless about their money. They do what we call impulse buying. They go into a store and say, ooh, I like that. And then they get that. And then they, you know, they're walking down. Ooh, that looks good. Get that. And then get that. You know, impulse uh, buying. That's never well thought out. Their typical cry is this. Where did all of our money go? The husband says to his wife, what? You are out of money already? I just gave you $200. Where did it all go? She says, well, I went to the grocery store. That was $75. Junior's haircut was $12. I found some shoes on sale for $33. Her husband had sort of a computer mind, and he was adding all that up as she went through the list. He says, that's $120. What would you do with the other $80? The way to avoid this kind of a scene in your home, in your friend's home, you know, all of us can minister to our neighbors, our families, wherever they might be, and help them to understand this whole principle that I'm talking about this morning. The way we can get by this scene is to have a budget and to keep a record of all of our expenses. If you're going to manage your assets properly, you're not always saying, where did the money go? You tell your money where to go. The main thing is to get out of debt. Don't pay interest charges. The scripture says, God first, family second, and your work third. The root of so much difficulty for Christians today is is that they have gotten this out of order. Uh, They don't have them in the appropriate place. For far too many Christians today, they put work first because they've got to get the money to pay off the debt. And then comes family And then comes God. There are four cornerstones 
for financial freedom that all of us need to know and that all of us need to follow. Number one, we want to recognize that God owns everything. Now, I'm not saying that you should pretend that God owns everything. You know, some people do it this way. They, they really know that they own everything, but they want to get along with their Christian friends, and they want to get along with their family and all that, so they uh, say, you know, that uh, uh, they believe that all things belong to God when they really don't. Well, that's not good. The Bible says literally that everything belongs to God. The Lord says in Psalms 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. The world is and everything in it is owned by God. That's true. It's true. You possess, but God owns. The Bible warns against you saying, I am a self-made man, or I am a self-made woman. Have you heard people say that? I did it. I did it. They emphasize the I. I did it. You know, they if you listen to them long enough, they'll say, I pulled myself up by my bootstrap. I paid my way through school. I started this business, and I made it a success. It's always I, 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 I. God says, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power to gain wealth. Deuteronomy 8, 18. After all, who gave you your brain? You know, you didn't earn your brain. You didn't pay for your brain. God gave you your brain. There's no such thing as a self-made man. Now, you can do well. You can work hard. And, of course, that's admirable. And we appreciate that. We admire that. But when you start taking credit for everything, You've moved in the wrong direction. There is only a man who refuses to recognize the power of God's hand in his life. Uh, That is not a self-made man. That is a man that thanks the Lord for what the Lord has given to him. God does not want you to be worried all the time about financial matters. Cindy and I have some friends that live high. I mean, really high. They have nice uh, cars. They have a nice home. They're always going on a trip somewhere. Uh, He is not working. She's not working. Uh, They're not uh, as old as we are. Uh, I told Cindy the other day, I said, you know, we need to switch over to their plan. It's doing better than our plan. You know, you don't want to have ulcers over the money situation. You don't want to go crazy over the money situation. 
Don't want to be worried all the time about all these financial issues. God does not want you to be in debt. He doesn't want that. No matter how big of a mess you might be in financially right now, God will deliver you if you will follow some simple plans that he has for your life. God is not going to deliver you instantly from the mess that you're in. If he did that, you know, that would just make you forget about the 10, 20, 30 years that you built up that big mess. You know, if he just came through and waved a magic wand and took all of your debt away, what would you learn? You wouldn't learn anything. You know, you have to go through some things to learn some things. And uh, that's, that's the way it has to be. When I was in seminary, I had no money. No money whatsoever. Uh, when I finished seminary, I got a job at a apartment complex and I was supposed to make sure that nobody tore up the the big room where they had dances and all sorts of meetings and stuff and I had to sleep on the floor in the apartment that they gave to me which was the smallest one in the whole complex and some people felt sorry for me I was sleeping on the floor and they brought me some uh, furniture and I really appreciated it uh, they helped me along. You know, some people helped me in my Christian life, and I appreciated it. And I prayed every night that God would help me, and God did. God really did. He helped me. We need to give God time to work on us. And if we'll do that, he'll look at us, he'll watch us, he'll help us. It takes time for us to put sound financial principles into our head and into our heart, into our life. It takes a while. If you've been doing it the wrong way, then uh, it's going to take you a while to, to adapt to this new way of thinking and living. Don't go in debt. Work hard. Help other people along the way. And honor the Lord in all that you do. If you do those four things and have patience and persistence using that formula, uh, that is the secret to putting it all together. The third cornerstone for financial freedom is to establish a spiritual purpose for your material resources, everything that you have. What are we going to do with what we have. Are you going to leave it to your dog? As some people do. Every time I preach a sermon about financial issues. I always mention Leona Helmsley. She's one of my favorite people. Because it's such a clear illustration of the wrong thing. Leona Helmsley was a real, real rich woman that owned a whole chain of hotels, and she died. 
She had a dog named Trouble. Guess what she did for the dog? She left the dog $12 million. $12 million. Uh, you know, all of your money ought to go towards something that has a ministering element to it, uh, towards some good end, not for your dog, not for your cat. Your children are very important. You need to help them along the way. I know you've already helped them, but they might need some more help. I don't know. It might be your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Your resources should certainly take care of your spouse and your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. That's very biblical. That's good. Did you know that your home can be a way for your money to have a spiritual purpose? Have you ever thought about helping foster children? I have some friends over the years that uh, have taken in foster children. Some stay for two nights, some stay for a week, some stay for a month. Uh, but, you know, everybody, when they're kind of yanked out of a real bad situation, they need a nice place to stay. And a lot of uh, Christian people decide that they're going to do that. And they do it. They use the nice home that they have in ministry to that child or to those children. Your home can also have a ministering purpose when you entertain people. When you invite people over, you know, it's really nice to have your Bible study class over. It's really nice to have your uh, group that you play with, your bridge group or your uh, golf group or whoever it is, have them over. You know, when people come into your house, your house can be a real ministry. They, you know, they see Christian things up on the walls and they uh, might see a cross somewhere and a Bible somewhere and and you give a witness that your life, your house, your family stand for the Lord. That's very important. The early church, as you know, met in homes. They met in uh, homes for Bible studies. The homes are very, very important parts of the early church. Have you ever thought about your telephone as being a ministering gift? My wife ran a girl's home for 37 years. And those girls that were there, their lives were way out of whack, and some of them straightened up, most of them did, and got on the right track. Those girls are still calling my wife, girls that were there 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, asking her about some ethical or spiritual matter, uh, and she helps them. Sometimes it's just for a recipe, but uh, sometimes it's for important things. And she helps them. Um, do some people call you to make sure that somebody still loves them? You know, sometimes the call that you get is the most important call that you will ever get. Have you ever had somebody call you and a day or two later they took their lives? And you thought back on it and you thought, uh, you know, I, I obviously missed it. I should have said something more important, more significant than what I said. I should have done something more than I did. 
Your phone can be a real ministering tool. Some folks just need a friendly word every once in a while. Have you ever called uh, all the folks that you have known through the years that are in your book? And, you know, now that we can call so cheaply, uh, we ought to perhaps be doing more than that, lifting people up that we know are going through a hard time. Did you know that your car can be a ministering agent? You can take some folks to see their, their longtime friends that are now in a nursing home somewhere. Many folks in nursing homes were faithful members of this church or some church for years and years and years. They need you to show them some love. And you can help them. You not only can go see them, but you can take some of their friends to go see them. You could run errands for people that are homebound. Your car can be a tremendous ministry uh, asset in your life. Some of you work uh, with Meals on Wheels. That is a great, great thing. And I hope uh, as many of you as possible will be in that each year as we do it here at our church. Uh, We have a lot of folks in our church that are Gideons. The Gideons drive all over everywhere distributing Bibles. And we know because of research that a lot of the folks that received those Gideon Bibles that found one in a motel room or whatever it might have been, those people came to know the Lord as their Savior. So that's important. Use everything that you have to glorify God, to help people, to build up the fellowship of the church. Have a clear spiritual purpose for all of the material resources that you have. The fourth cornerstone of financial freedom is to tithe your income. So many people cannot tithe because they're so far in debt. I mean, it's just not a question. They can't do it. They don't have enough money to go around. Uh, For years in a former church that I pastored, every year the youth minister would invite me to come and speak to the graduating seniors from high school. And I'd go over there and I gave the same message every year. And the basis of it was this. Uh, You're going to leave high school. You're going to go to college. Some of you are going to go to work. And probably all of you will get a, at least a part-time job. Give 10% of what you get uh, to the church. Give 10% to a broad-based, sound, long-term uh, municipal fund. Uh, Vanguard Wellington, incidentally, would be a good one. Uh, you know, that's a, a good, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. Over the years, they've uh, done real, real well. And then you live on the other 80%. I tell them that every year. And then I say, you know, if you'll do that, you're 18, 19 years old. If you'll do that, when you're 66 years old, you'll be a millionaire. And you will have done an unbelievably great work for the Lord all your life. An unbelievably great work for God. That's important. Brian Burrell tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis. Dennis Lee Curtis was arrested in 1991 in South Dakota. 
he was an armed robber. Bad guy, bad guy. Curtis apparently, though, had some scruples uh, about his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper, uh, there were some words written in the following code, sort of a robber's rules. Uh, He had these in there. These, uh, These were his rules. I will not kill anybody unless I have to. I will rob only at night. I will not rob many marts or 7-Elevens. If I get chased by cops on foot, I'll get away from them. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians uh, on the line. And the last one, I will enjoy robbing the rich to give to the poor. Well, this thief had a sense of morality but it was flawed. It was very flawed. When he stood before the judge, guess what? The judge didn't go by the rules that Dennis Lee Curtis had written. He didn't go by those. He went by the laws that were the laws of the state and the laws of the nation. And he went to jail for a long, long time. Likewise, when we one day stand before the Lord, We will not be judged by the code of morality, by the code of Christianity that we have dreamed up, that we have written down. He won't go by that. He will go by the code that God has written in his word. His code, not our code. Don't go into debt. Work hard. Help other people along the way and honor the Lord in all that you do. If you do that, you'll be doing exceptionally well. If there are folks here today that would like to come and join our church, we'd love to have you do that. I know some of you haven't been visiting for long. Some of you have been visiting for years. You know, if you'd like to, today's a pretty day. You might as well do something good. (laughs) Come on and join. Be a part of our family. We're going to try, what we try and do is lift up the Lord. Not only here, but in this neighborhood, in this state, nation, and this world. As we support missionaries all around the world. Come and help us. We pray that you would. That you trust in Christ to be your Lord and Savior. That you join the church. That you'd rededicate yourself. To him. I'm going to stand out here at the front if the Lord leads. You just slip out, slip forward, take a stand for Christ today. Let's stand and sing together.